0: do go wrong in ultra-distance events. Things are going to happen that you don't expect, whether that's a physical thing, whether it turns out to be a lot hotter than you expected, a lot colder than you expected. Uh, And so from a nutrition point of view, it's, it's having that flexibility to say, you know what? This energy drink I've been drinking for the last six hours, now it's starting to taste horrible. What can I switch to? And have a plan of what I'm going to be able to switch to.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists, and triathletes. My name is Steph Gaskell. I'm an accredited sports dietitian and researcher in sports nutrition at Monash Uni in Melbourne. And I'm joined by my colleague and fellow sports dietitian, lecturer, researcher, Alan McCubbin. How are you, Alan?
0: Yeah, good. Thanks, Steph. It's, uh, it's been a good week, actually. Last week, I um, managed to get down to Glenara Sports and Aquatic Centre here in Melbourne, where we uh, have uh, the triathlon group that I work with um, through Triathlon Australia. They do their swimming down there. It was great to catch up with them. It's been a few weeks since I was... Catching up with them and obviously exciting times with uh, Olympic selections coming up in the next few weeks. So uh, eagerly waiting to find out results of that. But, um, yeah, no, great to catch up with that group. And it was a glorious day standing out on pool deck, you know, mid-20s, sun shining, no wind. Um, yeah, it's a good office to have on a day like that. Mm, that
1: sounds mm. nice. Cool, so um, here on the Long Munch we take a look at those questions that runners, cyclists, triathletes may be asking in their training sessions or after their training sessions Uh, and we are here to help cover those, those topics and those questions. Uh, So what's the topic we're going to cover today?
0: Yeah, this is a a really interesting one, Steph. Uh, It's episode 12 today, so in this case 12A, Mm. uh, and our topic is how do I or what do I need to do to prepare for my first ultra-distance event? So this is... uh, A really interesting topic I think uh, we mentioned at the end of of last week's episode, this is uh, a conversation that we had for an online running conference um, about 12 or 18 months ago now, um, which basically sparked the idea for this podcast in the first place. So um, this kind of started it all, so to speak, Um, now we could have just reposted that, but um, the audio quality wasn't fantastic uh, there's probably a few things that we could add to it since then so we thought we'd we'd record it again and have this conversation uh, and then like like all of our episodes we're going to have a, a part b uh, and in fact at least a c and probably even a d for this episode where we're going to get some athlete perspectives but we're going to get more than one perspective for this because uh you know your first ultra distance event whether it's you know ultra marathon, Whether it's a triathlon, like an Ironman distance, or um, a cycling event, whether it's like a Peaks Challenge, which is you know 10 plus hours for for most people, or it's um, something like a 24 hour mountain bike race, Uh, obviously, across the different disciplines, there'll be some quite unique, I guess, practical and and logistical considerations. So, we thought we'd get all of those different perspectives in. So, we've got some great guests coming up over the next few weeks to talk about that as well. Um, But today, Uh, It's the the expert one, part A, um, and we decided we would do this by ourselves um, as we did uh, way back for the online running conference uh, at the start of last year. So, um, yeah, bringing it back to really where it all started, I guess, for us and and recording these conversations, which is great.
1: Usually, um, what we like to do is get something off our chest in in, um, in these sessions as well, so uh, I know you and you and I get um, get this quite a lot, and I'm sure a lot of sports dietitians do, um, and actually just overall practitioners, you know. Um, uh, that so we get uh, inquiries, and they are, hey, Steph or Ellen, um, I've got this event. And I need some help with my race nutrition. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Cool. So when's the event? Oh, it's next weekend.
0: <laughs> yep. I had this last um, week.
1: You had this last week. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You had like, so what What event was that?
0: Uh, it was a Melbourne Waterball Cycling Classic. So 200 and I can't remember the exact distance these days. The course has changed a little bit over the years, 270-something Ks uh road cycling events so pretty much the longest event on the calendar for for most people um yeah big day in the saddle usually between sort of six and seven and a half hours depending again depending on the course and the wind and all that kind of stuff um, so big day in the saddle particularly for for guys who are not used to doing that those kind of k's and then those that many hours on the bike in in one hit um, and yeah someone who I'd worked with, you know, years ago on more so training, nutrition, um, just sort of contacted me out of the blue and going, oh, I've got the, got the race coming up this weekend. Can you help me? Um, like, well, I can get you in for an appointment like two days before the event. So, yeah, I haven't heard how it went yet. So it'll be interesting to find out. But, yeah, I've had that before with, with all sorts of events. Uh, Ironman's probably even worse uh, in terms of, you know, uh, lack of preparation leading to to problems, uh, and and you know mm-hmm. trail ultra distance trail events the same, and I'm sure mm-hmm. you've you've seen yeah. this many a time before as well, Steph.
1: Yeah, 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 definitely have. I, um, thankfully, I think they are getting better. Like, I don't have as many. Um, you're nodding your head, so sounds like that's that's good. There, there is the message getting out. Um, and I guess you know the. The reason, ideally, we want to have that longer time is just because you know um, we're learning about you, and um, and then we need to put in what we may be recommending into practice and refine that because each person is individual. So, at the end of the day, we can have the the knowledge and the theory there, but we still need to practice and refine um, those those nutrition strategies for. For each person yeah so so ideally if you can we would love to work with you love 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 to work with you Um, but if you can give a bit more time um, that makes it beneficial for both of us
0: yeah absolutely and it's it's not about us trying to squeeze as many appointments out of people as possible and getting more money the the extra time is not about us seeing you more it's actually about you having the time to actually go out and try these things in training and then refine it, and then try it again, and then refine it, and try it, try it again if you need to. Um, now, sometimes people do it the first time; it's absolutely fine, and and that's that's mm. great, fantastic, good on mm. you. But uh, a lot of the time, mm. that doesn't happen, and you do need to make adjustments, and that that takes time. Or you know, as we've yeah. talked about in some of the previous episodes, whether it's around you know fluid, whether it's around um, carbohydrate. Um, either carb loading, you know, the day before, we talked to Karen Hill about, you know, mm. the adjustments that she had to make to her carb loading plan in, in a previous episode, mm. um, but also, you know, race day nutrition as well. Um, yeah, you know, if that doesn't go to plan, you've, you've got to try again. And sometimes that can be gut training as well, which we've also talked about in a previous episode. So, um, you know, these, these things take time and it's like any other form of training. You've just got to go out there and do it repeatedly to, to get the effect.
1: Yeah. And also there might be, like, <clears throat> there can be a number of things that we or well, they may want to work on, but sometimes it's better to kind of work on one thing, um, you know, get to know how you're responding to that and then you move on to the other thing as well. Mm-hmm. So it just allows, you know, better time and protocols um, to be put in place for that as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, you've got to be um, scientific because yeah. if you change five different things at once and either things work perfectly or they don't work, Either way, you've got no idea of what of those things that you changed was the thing that was important or irrelevant. Mm.
1: Mm. Exactly. Mm. Yep. Yep. So for... Anyone that would like to shoot us questions as well, um, please do that on our social social media, um, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we have had a question um, from Erin, um, uh, athlete, friend, colleague in Adelaide, a dietitian herself. And um, she's interested in um, us chatting about um, uh, you know, athletes being uh, being more plant based, following a more plant based diet, and whether that has potential benefits for uh, endurance performance. Um, and we we've been talking about this, Alan, behind the scenes, I guess. Um, and we're planning to to do an episode in this very area. So I guess stay tuned for that. Um, we will be um, following up on that type of question. Yep, absolutely shall we get started and in cracking into this yeah one? well
0: I mean we don't really need to introduce our guests do we because we're talking to ourselves so uh, <laughs> yeah let's get into it
1: let's let's get stuck into it okay so the um, the question um, for today is how do I tackle nutrition for my first ultra event
0: okay well let's get straight into this one Steph
1: Uh, Obviously, it's a a really interesting topic and
0: one that I think a lot of people will get something out of uh, if you are... Someone who's, uh, say, a runner who's run a lot of sort of half marathons, marathons, and, and thinking about stepping up to sort of ultra-distance events, um, obviously that'll be uh, very helpful. If you're someone who's done sort of Olympic distance or half Ironman and looking to, again, step up to to the full Ironman distance, um, or if you're maybe a mountain biker who's looking at, at solo 24-hour races or, you know, road cyclist who wants to take on something like a Peaks Challenge or, or something like that, one of those really monster sort of road cycling Mm -hmm. um grand fondo type events then again um i think this will sort of tick a lot of boxes for people in terms of how they think about their preparation for that and and how they might tackle that from a a nutrition perspective but i guess to, to start off with if we're thinking about ultra distance you know like a lot of things we can throw out terms like this but we probably need to define them so people are all on the same page of of what we're talking about. So if we think, I guess, about ultra distance events, uh, there is uh, slowly some sort of standard definitions coming in for that, at least from a scientific perspective, you know, the sporting community may think differently, but I guess from a, a running perspective, really, it's gonna be anything longer than the traditional marathon distance, isn't it?
1: Yeah. 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 Yep. Definitely. Um,
0: and then for uh, for other sports, um, usually the the definition sort of kicks in around four hours, um, at least for the most competitive athletes. So obviously, you know, you might have some people who run a marathon in four and a half or five mm. hours um, at the towards the you know the. Back half of the field, um, but it's more if the the top guys are, are doing it about four or five hours, then that's probably when you'd start to consider it as, as an ultra distance event. So, you know, triathlon, probably even half Ironman would sort of just sneak into there depending on the course. Um, but obviously, we're talking probably more Ironman today and, and the really longer stuff because that's when the, the differences, I guess, will become a bit more apparent. Um, so, first of all, Steph, I thought. Uh, we might start off by talking about our own experiences um, doing sort of ultra-distance events. Now, you've obviously done quite a few as a runner yourself. Do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the ultra-distance events that you've done and, and maybe your own experiences with nutrition, you know, sort of the first time round that you had a crack at these kind of things? Mm,
1: yep. Uh, yeah, so I um, used to do more so, I guess, the the half marathons and the marathons. Um, and then yeah stepped it up to going into the did more of that gradual step up as well so went into 50k um, events uh, and then and then 100k um, uh, events and um, sort of went between 50s and 100s and then I've done a multi-stage event which was a six-day stage race in Boulder Colorado Um, so in terms of, I guess, my experience then it was, it was adapting nutrition for what I'd typically do in a marathon, um, then going into, into the, the longer distances, so I needed to consider um, that my intensity would be different. Um, and that I'd have um, a longer period of time out there Um, you know so compared to um, being out there for a few hours or so then I'd be out there for you know 4 to 13 hours Um, and so you know I need to needed to consider things like um, flavor fatigue um and considering my intensity was going to be not as high as in a marathon then that would mean that i'd be able to tolerate um a lot more you know in terms of i don't need to suck down gels and and just um sports drink um i'd be able to actually take on board more solid type of of options uh so i guess my experience i was lucky i think i was um uh sort of getting into into more into sports nutrition at that time learning um and i got some support by um the sports dietitians at the ais so was lucky enough to have louise burke and um, some other students there at the time give me some support in my nutrition and i think that's where i really noticed the difference that following a good plan and having a good plan and and having that practice in training um, can really just help you know um, optimize your your performance in in that event, um, and and make sure that you're confident um, in knowing that those things uh, are tolerated well. So mm. yeah. I guess. Was there
0: anything that kind of took you by surprise when you did your first event, where you had this kind of expectation of have how it might play out, but then it turned out to be quite different?
1: Um. I think probably the one that would stand out for me would be um, the, the multi stage event. Um, so, where I had, this was at um, altitude as well. Um, I had practiced, um, you know, done all the practice in the world for, for that event in terms of the, the race nutrition and um, recovery nutrition. But then when I got there, yeah i just um i really did i think suffer from that um the flavor fatigue a lot more than i thought and um, um i was sucking down you know these really um carbohydrate dense gels that were quite sweet and, and viscous and i was fine in training with them um but yeah just after i guess several days um uh, doing, you know running um, and at altitude I just I couldn't suck them down anymore um, so I think a key learning for me um, from that first experience was even when we practice what we do in in training things can change on on event day and just make sure you do have you know backup up up strategies for that um, so that was probably a key learning for me um, in particular and and just yeah Flavor fatigue really um, being being a significant one, and often in racing for myself, I tend to probably prefer more liquid nutrition um, versus um, too much of the um, you know gels and and things like that. So um, that was probably some of the key ones for me, and um, definitely um, fueling earlier rather than later is a, a I guess that's a key one um that i hone into you know for for people that i work with and i know you do too um Mm. but that's that's probably one for me as well that i first learned about yeah Mm. what about you
0: yeah i mean obviously my my um sort of ultra distance experiences in mountain biking um with you know 12 hour race um a 100k race is kind of on that cusp of whether it's kind of ultra distance or not I guess depending on what end of the field you're at again um, the one I did was a particularly brutal course so it probably tended to be a bit longer mm-hmm. um, than others um, but I think the, the things that stood out for me were actually pretty similar to you uh, the flavor fatigue was one that um, I was sort of conscious that it was going to happen but um, it hit me a lot harder than I'd expected mm-hmm. um, and I think you know the, the, those two days when i was racing it was quite warm as well um, and particularly you know mountain biking you know it's an ultra distance event the the overall average intensity might be quite low but you've still got little um, sort of technical bits and little pinches that you've got to work really hard to get up um, and so you know you you are getting the heart rate quite up and and the breathing rate quite up and i think the one thing that, that i remember because this is you know a decade ago now um, was just the stickiness of the sports drink around my mouth as it dried up Mm. in the both the heat but also just the rapid breathing kind of dries out your mouth a lot as well Mm. Uh, and that's a thing that i never forget was that sort of disgusting sticky sensation Mm. Uh, and i think that really contributed to the flavor fatigue as much as the actual sweetness of what i was having um I guess again it was 10 years ago so I've, I've learned a lot since um, both in sort of hindsight looking back on those experiences but also you know you learn from every every athlete, athlete. that you work with exactly. um, and so certainly I would definitely tackle those uh, in terms of my choices on race day quite differently to what I do now mm. but also the carbohydrate loading and we talked a bit about that in the, the those episodes, uh, particularly the the practical one um, with with Karen Hill, where we talked about um, you know some of those ways to to maximize the carbs for minimum volume of food, and that was something that you know ten years ago I was, I was doing to an extent, but I'd probably do that a lot more now. Um, and, and certainly I did have that you know concrete in your stomach feeling and really struggled to get to sleep the night before the race um, because while I tried to compact the carbs in, you know, I probably didn't do that enough um as as i would now in Mm -hmm. hindsight Mm
1: -hmm. um
0: so they're probably the big biggest things that kind of stood out for me i didn't get any you know gi issues or anything like that um you know my main issue was probably cramping rather than than gi issues but Mm -hmm. yeah um, they're they're probably the biggest things i learned was sort of the flavor fatigue and the volume with the the carb loading personally
1: yeah yeah
0: Mm. all right well let's talk about training nutrition now because obviously you know we we want to tackle our our first ultra but um, there's obviously the race day stuff that we need to think about but we obviously need to think about what you're doing from now until race day as well Uh, and now we've already talked a little bit about this uh, in the opening with the the rant there but how far in advance Steph would you think um, we obviously said you know you don't want to rock up to a sports dietitian the week before and say I need a plan Mm. but how far ahead do you really think that people need to start thinking about nutrition for their first sort of ultra distance event?
1: Mm, yep. <clears throat> I would say at least three months is ideal. Mm, yep. yep. Um, yeah. Um, and I, I think it's, yeah, it will, again, um, depend on each individual um, and where their where the background is and what they're starting from and, and what their goals are in terms of what, ultras they're doing and what they've got in the pipeline Um, but I think having a good three months minimum um, is ideal for us to be able to um, yeah practice and refine what we're doing in terms of the training nutrition and to be able to see some um, benefits and and adaptations from what we're doing
0: yeah yeah, for sure. So it gives us that opportunity to, yeah, as we said earlier, practice the carb loading side of things and make sure that's working as you expect because you don't want to pull a new plan out for that, you know, the day before a major race that you spend a whole lot of time and money preparing for. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, yeah, obviously race day stuff and even the morning of the race, like what you have in the hours before as well. So all of that stuff's going to be really important. Um, you need that time to work out in your longer training sessions. Am I going to get gut issues that I need to sort of diagnose and resolve? Am I going to have, um, major issues with, you know, working out how much to drink? Um, Mm. yeah, all of these things kind of factor into it. So, yeah. And then obviously, you know, you need to, as as your training is going to step up in terms of distance and, and time, um, that starts to become an issue in terms of how I'm fueling the training week to you know, day to day, week to week in the lead up to the event as well. So the earlier you get on to, to that and start planning for it and preparing for it, you know, the the better chance you've got.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And just like, um you know, how we always say um, training is, is periodized, nutrition really should be periodized as well. So there's obviously different phases and blocks that, you know, your coach or yourself are gonna put into your training. Um, so nutrition kind of should be changing with that. So, um, yep. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and
0: I really encourage people to go back and listen to episode 2A, um, which was all around, you know, what should I eat and drink before my long training session? Mm. Um, and talking about how, you, you know, you adjust the amount of carbohydrate that you're eating based on the type of training. Um, with with Dr. Sam Impey, who works with, or um, now team bike exchange um, pro cycling team, but he did a lot of that research around sort of adjusting carbohydrate before exercise and what that does uh, in terms of how your body responds to exercise. But we also talked there about the risk of, um, you know, chronically underfueling your training and, and how that can go pear-shaped as well, and, and we had a really good discussion with uh, Emma Jeffcoat, pro triathlete, mm. in episode 2B, I guess, around that and, and how she was able to kind of um, make those adjustments and, and see the, the benefit of fueling adequately for training, um, which is going to be really important. Yep. Mm. Um, and I guess there's, uh, you know, if you want information about um nutrition whether it's for training or race day you know people are going to start to look at this you know hopefully several months out but there is so much information out there we've talked a bit about this with um you know dr dim crow around you know why is nutrition so confusing um but i guess you know where do you start with all of that
1: Mm. yep yep uh, well, I guess we might be biased, Alan, and I would say come <laughs> and see, um, it's you know, see a sports dietitian if you can, would be my recommendation, a qualified sports dietitian, ideally who has a special interest in the area that, you know, the um, sport that you're working in, um, that you're training in. Um, <clears throat> Uh, and then if you if you can't do that if you can't see a sports dietitian then there's there are certain um, resources that that may be useful you know um, we've got Sports Dietitians Australia um, uh, so there's a website there Um, you can also go there and you know you can see if you're in a particular location you can see where a sports dietitian is in that location Um, the the same with if you're overseas, there's, um, you know, the relevant sports dietitians associations there. Um, uh, and then also you can listen, of course, to our podcast, which we're hoping to help educate people. Uh, and, um, and then if you do need to get, um, let's say, any testing, um, then uh, again, we may be a bit biased, but if you're in Melbourne, You've got the um, base facility at Monash University where you can go and get that testing. Uh, mm. What about?
0: And, and I think, yeah. so yeah. I was going to say the, the, the important thing there, I guess, is that, you know, you can read information online, which could be good, bad or otherwise. Mm. Uh, obviously, you know, we've got a whole bunch of podcast episodes here that people can can go to for information and there's, you know, plenty of other good stuff online as well. Um, it's often hard to work out what's good and what isn't online. But I guess the, the key thing and I guess the reason that, uh, you know, we suggest people enlist the help of a, a professional here is there's a lot of individualization in this stuff. So, you know, we can come up with recommendations or guidelines, but they're fairly generic. Um, and, you know, how well they're going to fit people's individual circumstance is going to vary enormously. So, um, yeah that that's where i guess enlisting professional help where you can um where it's available and affordable for you um is is going to be invaluable because it's they're synthesizing all that information like what we talk about in the podcast but then they're looking at your personal situation as well matching those two things together and then coming up with an individualized solution for you um, and then working with you to refine that over time as you're able to sort of practice that in, in training and, and see what works and what doesn't. So, um, yeah, I guess that's that's where that personalised uh, advice sort of adds that extra layer of, of value, I suppose, or, or effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, sometimes prevents a lot of the the trial and error, um, or you know, minimises it anyway. Spot on. Mm, yeah. Um, just in terms of like everyday nutrition for for people that are sort of training for an ultra marathon, if we think about um, you know someone might be a you know typically running you know marathons, half marathons, or doing you know Olympic distance or half Ironman, something like that. Are there mm-hmm. any sort of key differences? Do you think, Steph, in terms of just their everyday eating and how that might change as they sort of step up training for for longer distances?
1: Yeah. Um- <clears throat> I think largely, um, you know, the foundations of of good nutrition are um, are key in in all of those distances and areas. But I guess some of the main things that can be changed and manipulated would be, um, you know, training load um, potentially is in, increasing, um, and so then looking at um, your macronutrients and which ones need manipulating there so you know usually the key one that we would manipulate um depending on people's diet would be carbohydrate um Mm. and um you know particularly if you've got a a, a sunday long run which is you know for four plus hours compared to if we're doing um you know more like half marathons and marathons where the training run might be you know 90 minutes to, to, a, to two hours or so um then you know obviously that's a, a big difference in um training duration and load um, so it would be that also just sometimes depending again on people's training but often you can have double um, double long sessions um, so you know it might be typically um, uh, for amateur athletes um, where days and Sundays will be the double hard sessions Um, so it's really looking at being really proactive in making sure you're able to recover from that Saturday session so then you can um, you know enter into the Sunday session um, well fueled and ready for that particular session Um, so I think mainly I would be saying um, as a generalization manipulating the the carbohydrate. Generally, the other, you know, main nutrients can be similar. But again, that is going to depend on the individual and what type of diet they're following. As we know, there are some people that may be following more towards a higher fat, um, you know, lower carb type of diet. So then for them, you know, different nutrients will change there. Mm. Um, But
0: I guess either way, you're going to end up eating more energy, more calories. Exactly. um, On a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Yeah, And so obviously if you're eating more, whether it's carbs specifically or, or, you know, calories more broadly, uh, which obviously carbohydrate makes up a fair chunk of for most people, Mm. um, you're going to be eating more food overall. So that's going to be potentially a little bit of an adjustment just in terms of hunger and and fullness. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess the other nutrient that we need to potentially be mindful there is when you're eating more is fibre. Yes.
1: Yep. 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 being aware that your load's
0: increasing, yeah. Yes, yeah. So you might eat, you know, quite an adequate fibre intake day to day as it is. Yes. But then you step up the volume of food you're eating, and all of a sudden the amount of fibre you're eating is huge. Yes. Uh, and so that's just something to be aware of: is yeah. that you know, if you have too much fibre, mm-hmm. um, one that might cause some problems in terms of toileting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know gut function and that kind of thing mm. but also it does start to impact on the the absorption of nutrients as well exactly. uh, when you have too much fiber in your diet i mean that said if you're eating more of everything then probably you're getting more of your irons no, and calciums easy. and all those kind of things anyway so yeah. potentially maybe not quite as much of an issue yeah. um but it, and just the volume of food, like being comfortable to eat that amount of food, you know, obviously that takes time for your gut to adjust to that. Yeah. Uh, and for some people, they really struggle with that. So I guess in that scenario, um, you know, a little bit like what we talked about with the, the carb loading episode, maybe not quite to the same extent, but... Um, you know, some of it might be saying I don't have to have brown rice mm. and wholemeal pasta and multigrain bread and all these sorts mm-hmm. of you know things because they're quote unquote healthy. Mm. Um, that's because when you're eating a smaller volume of food, like a sedentary person, you need those sort of foods to get enough fibre. Yep. Whereas when you're eating a much bigger volume of food because you're doing this huge amount of training, all of a sudden you're going to get that amount of fibre just eating you know kind of normal white pastas and you know basmati rice or whatever it is, um, normal um, you know, wholemeal or even white bread in some cases. So um people go, oh my God, it's unhealthy. It's Mm. like, well, no, you're getting the same amount of fibre as you would, you're just spreading it out over a greater quantity of food.
1: Exactly. Like if you think um, you know, the average recommended intake of fibre being 25 to 30 grams, let's say in a day, (laughs) when I was like doing some of the studies and looking at the fiber intake for um for each participant that we were um feeding um the the fiber intake was um 50 50 grams mm. you know so double yep. the amount and that's with nice easy digestible carbohydrates in there um so that's just um showing exactly um that yeah just by simply increasing um energy intake carbohydrate intake um your fiber needs are are um are easily covered
0: yeah Absolutely, and I mean vegetarian vegan athletes even more so oh. because they're often having a lot of, you know, chickpeas and lentils and things to meet their protein needs. Yeah. Um, but because of that, they're eating even more fibre on top of that. So, you know, it's not unusual for a vegan ultra-athlete to be getting, you know, 60, 70 grams a day exactly. of fibre. Um, and, yeah, most of us are just not used to that. Mm. Our gut's not prepared for that. Yeah, yep. Cool. Yeah. Um, so what aspects, I mean, we talked about obviously adjusting carbohydrate, anything else that you think, Steph, we need to be on the lookout for sort of day-to-day in training if we're, you know, starting to train for our first ultra and really stepping up the the training miles? Mm.
1: Um, I would say um, like uh, fluid I guess is one as well, you know, if you're out there for a long period of time and like um, often um you and i both see this um and i it myself um just in terms of logistics we don't often take much fluid with us uh mm-hmm. and so what we need to then consider is then how well are we hydrating then throughout the rest of the day to make sure then we can enter into the next session you know you hydrated um so so i think fluid is is one of them um to be mindful of uh and then um just um also just in terms of uh sometimes like when we've just mentioned there where you can do some sessions where we um feel perhaps a bit lower at times we also need to be aware that then if we are doing that um then we need it for some people, they then may need to catch up for the rest of the day. Um, so we mm-hmm. need to be mindful that we're still getting enough energy availability, and we're not doing low every single, you know, every single day. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that I find um, people can struggle with. Um. uh, Just yeah. So you know, if you're out running for four or five hours, that's and you're you're um not fueling well. Um, you've only got so many hours for the rest of the day to then be able to catch up on that.
0: Um, And you've often missed a main meal.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um. So yeah, I think they would be some of the key ones. What other ones can you think of?
0: Yeah, I mean, they're probably the main ones, yeah. um, and then, you know, as we've already talked about, sort of starting to practice uh, with race day in mind um, in terms of the, the types of products. We'll get onto this a bit later when we talk about race day nutrition, but starting to use the, the types of products, the brands, the flavours, etc., that you expect to be using on, on race day as well, to to be familiar, comfortable with them, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um any other we can talk about I guess big do's and don'ts in terms of training nutrition. Start with the do's. The do's. Um yep. obviously, you know, practicing your race day stuff uh, is a big one. Yep.
1: Yeah, yep, definitely. Um do's would be think about uh, think about what your training week is. <clears throat> Um, and then, and then, when you're thinking about that, think about yeah, what are the goals um, behind those sessions? Um, and then, um, ideally, then plan your nutrition for that. So nutrition, <clears throat> nutrition should be changing um, based on what your training is. Ideally. Um, and just being mindful that, um, on an easy day, you perhaps don't need as much than compared to a long, um, a long training day. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big do. Um, another big do would be, I would say to, to, um, to try and think of nutrition in terms of, um, fueling yourself to be a strong athlete rather than a malnourished athlete. Yes.
0: Yeah, yep. absolutely. Uh, and you see that all the time, particularly in endurance sports, this obsession with being as light as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, lighter can help to an extent, but it's not the be all and end all. And if you're no longer strong, you know, light and weak is not going to be better than a little bit heavier but strong. Yeah. 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 Yep. For sure. All right. So they're the kind of the, the key do's for training nutrition, preparing for your first off. What about key don'ts? What things you shouldn't do?
1: Um, rock up to race day and just wing it. (laughs) Um, ideally again, as we know, some people can get away with that, but, um, I would say a large majority don't get away with that. And then they're probably the people we tend to see (laughs) planning for the next one. Um, yeah. Um, and, uh, don't, um, don't be, I guess, um, sucked in or fooled to what other people are doing or what your peers may say, you know, oh, I do this so it's going to work for you. As we've highlighted so many times, we are all individual. Um, What works for someone doesn't necessarily work for you. Um, And and be mindful as we've covered in Tim's um, session as well um, that um, like Uh, companies or products promising and making claims that um, are really big statements um, and aren't substantiated so um, do your research um, I think in in terms of that uh, and um, and don't um, do too much under fueling so you know even if we talk about um, that there may be times where we can benefit from training a bit lower we are not saying to do that absolutely all the time Um, and that may be appropriate for some individuals but it actually may not be appropriate for other individuals so you really need to assess each individual um what the training goals are what the fitness status is what caliber of athlete are they like really like um is getting that little bit of percentage change um beneficial for uh a person that's just going out and doing these events for um, health and fitness Mm. yeah um absolutely other ones that i've missed alan
0: um Thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you, as you said, don't wing it, um, but also don't leave your preparation and planning until the last minute. Yes. You know, I think we don't need to discuss that already. We've sort of banged on about that enough. Yeah. Um, I think don't plan to go into an event. Again, we'll talk about race day stuff more in a minute. Yeah. Um, using products that you haven't used in training. Yep. So always practice with your The things that you intend to use on race day um even things you know it it might seem silly but simple things like the brand of gels i mean they all Mm. open slightly differently Mm. and you know you might find brand x opens really easy for you and i might find it really difficult to open and vice versa brand y i might find really easy and you find it really difficult to get it open while you're running or Mm. riding or whatever it is so yeah i mean from that perspective you know even the simple things like. You know, how to open a gel is gonna change from product to product. So you don't want to rock up on race day with a product that you've never seen in your life that's available at an aid station and and start trying to use it because mm. yeah, you know, it might be fine, but it might not.
1: Mm, yeah. 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 Um and I think, yeah, we've already said this, um, but um yeah, really check uh that the claims that products are making um, and particularly from like big anecdotes as well and just because a, um, a elite level athlete is promoting that particular um, product gel drink um, it doesn't actually mean that um, what they're claiming is is you know substantiated and, and evidence-based so that's where I think it is really beneficial to go and see Um, A qualified sports dietitian and um, and actually you know find out a bit more about those particular products because you can Mm. end up spending an absolute fortune on those products where you probably don't need them and you can get something just as good for cheaper
0: yep yep and not only that I mean you said you know be mindful of your athletes endorsing products and things it's like well. Does the athlete actually use the product themselves?
1: <laughs> yeah, half
0: the time, exactly. uh, well not half the time, but there there are examples where you know people promote brand X, mm-hmm. they, they run around with or ride around with a, a bottle with that label on it, but they've put a completely different product inside that bottle because they actually don't like the product that they're endorsing.
1: Exactly, and if in ultras, um, yes, they might use that product, but they're not necessarily using that product for the whole entire ultra because they'll probably get, Flavor fatigue or overload. So,
0: yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to to race day nutrition now, Steph. Yep. So we've talked obviously about the stuff that people might need to do in preparation for the event. I guess on a logistical note, you know how we go about this. I mean, I think most people will be sort of familiar, even if they've done sort of shorter distance events, of you know checking um, event websites to see what brands and types of products are going to be available at aid stations on on race day and and that kind of thing. Um, So obviously that's a a really important one to to make sure when you are training, you're using um, similar products, or you might have a plan to just be self-sufficient and take your own, Um, and that's fine too, but you need to sort of make a decision one way or the other on that. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of fueling up prior to race day, I mean, we've done the the two episodes around carbohydrate loading with um, Dr. Jose Areta and and Karen Hill. Um, So we don't need to, I think, go back over that in in any detail. Um, So people can go back and check out those episodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was episodes 9A and 9B. So you can go back and and have a look through those. Um, And then I guess... Are there any things, Steph, that you think that change for different race lengths? So Mm -hmm. maybe use running as an example um, to start off with, but this will apply to triathlon and and cycling as well. Mm -hmm. So you're running say 50Ks versus 100Ks versus 100 miles. Mm. What might be different or or how would you maybe approach nutrition differently for those different distances?
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean with your 50k races it's still relatively short depending on the caliber of, of athlete that you're working with um, so you and the intensity may be harder um, so then you may be pushing more you know carb intake um, during a 50k than, um per hour than what you may be doing for the longer events you also can tolerate, um, or probably, um, if again, you're going at a harder intensity, you, you potentially are then looking for easier to digest things versus the, the longer distance where intensity may be lower. Um, so there are some, some key things for, for the 50K um, event. Um, and then in terms of even your lead up, lead up diet, You may find that um, you know, kind of a a 24 to 36 hour is quite nice and sufficient for you going into a 50k event. Um, In your 100k um, and your 100 milers, um, some people may want um, even a couple days um, of of a little bit higher um, carb eating for that type of event, or others may may do the opposite and. Um, they may just, um, not, not, they've got, they may have such a, a a big taper for those types of events. Um, we're just making sure in the lead up week, the, the, you know, the, the eating well and their carb intake is good. Um, so it kind of will just depend on, on the individual athlete really, and what, and what their goals are, um, and, and the intensity that they're pushing, um. Then when you're looking at the the 100Ks and the 100 miler type of events, um, again, you're out there for a longer period of time, um, generally, uh, and so also the intensity will be different. So again, in those events, you will be having times where you're pushing the intensity or you're surging up hills or racing down hills or going to overtake someone, Um, but there's times where you've got that sort of more low to moderate intensity um, so you're going to be able to tolerate some foods that um, typically you may not have been able to tolerate in, let's say, a 50K where you're going harder. So probably going to have some more sort of solid options um, in, in those events. Um, flavor fatigue will become much more of an issue in those events. And when we say flavor fatigue, we're not just talking about, um, you know, sweet, sweetness, sour, savory, also texture as well. Mm-hmm. Um, also saliva production, I've noticed a lot actually that that can be so much of an individual thing as well. Like I've got um, some, some um, athletes that are um, uh, really don't produce much saliva at all, so they really struggle with um, uh, yeah, putting down certain solid foods just because it's hard to mm-hmm. chew and, and get down, whereas other people are, are perfectly fine um yeah yeah so uh so there, there are some some key ones and then just um the gut issues obviously um could be you know much more significant um in the 100k and the 100 miler events than the 50k because as we know we tend to find that um significant issues can tend to creep in from kind of like that sort of four hours upwards uh, so um, again then strategies for that um, may change in those types of types of events also you're out there for much longer period of time and duration so environmental conditions will change a lot more um, so you know you know if you're in a 100k event Um, and particularly in certain events you might be um, racing in the mountains, those conditions can change really rapidly. You might start the event and it might be quite warm and hot and then in the the evening it may be like freezing cold. Um, So nutrition and choices will change um, to go with that as well Um, and also fluid needs as we know in those events because your um, environment intensity will be changing um, fluid needs will be going up and down as well um, again compared to say your 50k event where duration is shorter environment may be a little bit more consistent um, can, compared to those um, other ones Alan that I'm are um, missing
0: yeah a couple um, probably one thing I'd say like if you're used to doing like a marathon or a shorter distance event and you step up to the longer stuff um, I guess the way you might use aid stations or checkpoints might be a bit different. So in the shorter events, you're generally gonna run straight through, grab stuff on the run and keep going. Um, and even at elite level, like the Ironman and things like that, that's, that's what would happen. Um, I guess uh, if you're not at that elite level, then maybe you're gonna take a bit more opportunity to slow down and stop. Uh, and then in the really ultra distance events, like your ultra marathons, your 100 milers and things like that, you know, even the elite guys will actually physically stop running for a period of time, um, you know, take a minute or two um, to load up on whatever they need to take with them, because it might be much longer between aid stations, so you have to be a little bit more self-sufficient and stock up. Um, But it also gives you that opportunity, as you said, to have more solid food, um, because you're actually physically stopping, um, or, or at least slowing down, depending on the event. Um, and the intensity is, is lower, so you're not puffing and panting quite as, as hard. Um, so all of those things give you more opportunity to get in more solid foods. Uh, and that kind of leads to my next point, which is obviously, you know, if you're out there for 8, 10, 12, 15 hours, you know, you, you're missing potentially two main meals of the day. Um, so, and, and you might not eat the first one because you can't stomach a, a full meal before you go racing. So, you know, it's, in a shorter event, you're generally never going to be hungry. But in these events, you could actually get physically hungry in some of these events. Mm. Uh, And so you want something a bit more substantial um, to go into your stomach during those events. And and again, this is very individual. Some people um, will have no problems at all. um, And they don't, Just don't feel hungry ever during an event uh, even an ultra distance event of 15 or 20 hours Mm. whereas other people will will actually feel like having almost a meal Mm. or or a small meal of some sort along the way at some stage so again depends on the sport depends on the the conditions depends on the individual um, how much of of a factor those things are Uh, and then i guess the final thing and this is you know I guess, more highly variable in the ultra distance events compared to the the shorter events. Um, We talked about this in the context of fluid, but it's true with food as well, is this concept of access and opportunity. So your access to food will vary depending on how far apart the aid stations are, what you can physically carry with you or not. what's available at those aid stations is it a crude event where you actually have like your own family or friends that can come along with you to those checkpoints and meet you there and bring things from an esky or uh, a thermos if it's if you need hot stuff it's it's nighttime and it's cold um, versus events where you have to be far more self-sufficient or uh, crews not allowed to access so you just rely on the volunteers and what's available at those aid stations. So uh, there is I guess a lot more sort of preparation and planning around sort of how you collect your food and fluids along Mm -hmm. the way uh, and it's going to vary a lot more from one event to the next and so that does require a, a lot more sort of scoping of that and then you know practice of that in training as much as you can. As we we spoke to Ben Disbro the other week when when he did an Ironman and, and the reality is you can never fully simulate a full distance ultra event until you do a full distance ultra event. Yeah. So you're never going to completely be able to sort of do rehearsal for that other than going out and racing it itself. Um, but I guess using your longer training sessions wisely in the lead up to a race to try and you know, suss out this stuff as best you can, I guess. And then, you know, the more events you do, the more experience you've got to draw on um, for that as well. Uh, and, and as you said, you know, not getting sucked into to drawing on the experience of other people because... It may be a completely different experience to what you're going to have. You know, some of that advice may be useful. There might be some practical things around, you know, how to wrap solid food so it's easy to open, for example. Uh, you know, using foil rather than um, cling wrap is, is a classic example. You know, there's nothing worse than picking apart the cling wrap when you're trying to access whatever it is inside, mm. um, whereas the foil you can just tear open. So there, there are practical things like that you can learn from other athletes. But you know, the this worked for me, uh, or, or this was terrible, uh, is. Not necessarily going to be the case from uh, across the board for everyone. There are things you can learn, um, but you know, at the end of the day, you've got to kind of figure it out for yourself. Mm,
1: yeah, and the other thing as well is with the um, uh, ultras, like the hundred k's and the hundred miler's. Um, the it's becoming quite common um, for those events can start at any time of day like you know it could start at midnight um 3am um yeah or be at the early hours of the morning so um then you just need to consider yeah what's what's the time of day your events are starting because that obviously is going to impact on your not only your leading diet but then also um your um, race day nutrition um as well
0: Mm, yeah Uh, and that's a good point and maybe a good thing to discuss next is the the, the overnight aspect mm. and not, you know, obviously not every ultra distance event, you know, Ironman. Um, most people will finish that during daylight hours mm. uh, unless you're right at the back of the field. Mm. Um, but, you know, a lot of ultra marathon stuff, obviously things like 24-hour mountain biking is going to happen overnight as well as during the day. Any other things uh, apart from what we've already talked about that you would add to that in terms of what you might do differently when the sun goes down compared to when the sun's up? Mm.
1: Yeah um well i guess that was part of you know the research that we looked into uh 2 years ago now um uh because of covid um so um we yeah we we wanted to tackle that topic in terms of you know our needs different um when we're exercising night versus day um and i guess some key findings from that is that um you, you potentially are at increased risk of more severe gut symptoms, um, exercising in the evening versus day, just because um, your gut can, can slow down more. Um, it's just um, not, not functioning or um, potentially emptying as quickly. Um, so I guess the practical aspect of that would be that um, you may be looking uh, at some easier to digest options, um in the evening um and or just doing that mix which is what i tend to try and do anyway in a long event where i you know have a few hours of some easy to digest options and then i may have one or two hours of harder to digest and i kind of go through um that sort of um uh, practice um the other thing as well is um do do gut training at, at, at night in, in your training um so your body is familiar with having to process nutrition um in those hours um yeah so um i think that they would be some of the key things for for the night aspect
0: yeah Yep. Yeah, definitely um And I guess, you know, we've already talked a little bit about this, but, you know, weather conditions can be quite a lot different overnight and a lot cooler Mm. potentially. So your fluid needs might be a lot less overnight. Um, So, you know, often when I do 24-hour events, um, whether it's running or or mountain bike, I guess, are the the two typical ones, uh, I I tend to break it into four six-hour blocks. And then the two of those are sort of the evening time. Uh, And in those, I would generally rely less on fluids as my source of carbohydrates, simply because your fluid needs might be lower. And so you don't want to get to the stage where uh, you're either drinking too much fluid because you're trying to get in carbs, or the flip side is you don't feel like the fluid and you know you don't need it, so you drink less, but you're then compromising on your carbs because you are relying on that fluid to get it in. Um, So generally, I would rely on a a smaller volume of food as a carbohydrate source. Uh, But at the same time, as you said, you might not want as much in terms of solid foods. So the flip side to that is then having more um, sort of gels and and, compact, um, pretty easy sources of carbohydrate, but are not big volumes in terms of fluid as well. Um, So it can be a a little bit tricky to kind of juggle that um, to some degree. Uh, I guess the other thing I I might consider overnight is um, just sort of mental fatigue as well. And so some people might, you know, turn to caffeine a bit more overnight compared to during the day. Um, Did you want to add anything around sort of that side of things, Steph, in terms of caffeine and Mm. um, overnight versus during the day?
1: Yeah. um... Okay, yeah, with caffeine, I mean, again, yeah, just planning it um, in terms of um, how long you're going to be out there um, and where you, yeah, find that your mental fatigue spots are. Um, and so that, yeah, maybe because of that tiredness that's going to come in in the evening. Um, it, you know, usually I also say to athletes, okay, like, where's that huge mountain that you're gonna to have to climb that you're really dreading and we kind of plan caffeine leading up to that. And so it just kind of knowing, okay, well, how long does caffeine take to kind of peak and then how long will it kind of take to dial down? Um, and so, um, yeah, that's, I guess the aspect that I would look at and yeah, then in the evening, um, yeah, if you find that, you know, that's going to be a particular section where you are getting tired, then, um, you know, putting in the caffeine there um, as well.
0: Yeah. And that's uh, a very individual, I guess, as a general rule of thumb, about an hour from when you take mm-hmm. it uh, to when it sort of has its its maximum effect. But it, it does vary a lot from person to person. Some people, it's much quicker than that. Some people, it could be two or three hours. Um, and that may also change with, um you know if your gut starts slowing down you know, in an ultra yeah. distance event then it may take longer for that caffeine to get into the system although some of that is absorbed in the mouth and and so on before it before it gets there mm. um caffeinated gums absorb much more quickly but um you know people aren't probably going to be popping gum during an ultra distance event i wouldn't have thought mm. maybe some people do but uh, i certainly haven't come across that
1: yeah yeah
0: um I guess one of the things that a lot of people talk about is um, sort of a, a rule of thumb or a formula for, you know, calories per hour that people should be consuming. Some people talk about carbohydrate in terms of grams per hour or grams per minute. Um, some people talk about calories per hour. How would you approach that? Is Do you think there's there's something to that or is that a bit of a myth or misconception?
1: Mm, yeah, um, I would tend to approach that, depending on the tools that you have, um, really with the, the individual. I mean, obviously, if you be, have the luxury of having them in a lab where you can have a look at you know, oxidation and those types of things and be really specific, then um, great. Um, I would look at it in terms of what's the limiting type of, of fuel that we're needing to top up on um and um and then also um what's protective for me in in the long endurance events what nutrient macronutrient do i know that is protective to the gut um so i more so focus on the on carbohydrate intake goals um in terms of trying to get that in um per hour uh and then i do it in terms of then also knowing that in the ultra endurance events um, small and frequent intake is beneficial Um, so we know in ultra endurance events usually something that's kind of nicely tolerated in terms of carbohydrate may be an average of 45 grams of carbohydrate an hour just as a um, Mm. less risk for gut issues Um, and so then it's kind of splitting that up in the hour every 15 or 20 minutes um then we can then get you know definitely individualize that for each person and males versus females those goals can be different um depending on intensity and caliber of the athlete that can be different but that's a general um guideline um and um I would I'd look more at things like energy, protein, and fats when we're doing more like your um, your multi-stage type of racing um, and/or the really long events. Um, uh, but but things like a hundred k and hundred milers, um, the the nutrient that I tend to, to look at more so is is the, the carbohydrate hourly rate.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you certainly don't have to, you know, replace 100% of the calories that you're burning. You know, you don't look at your garment and, and do it that way because that's going to end in disaster mm-hmm. in terms of just eating too much. Um, and, and GI issues are, are pretty much certain if you try and do that. And And, you know, for one day, you can go into a calorie deficit. It's not going to be the end of the world. Um, so it's yeah, as you said, it's more about providing that carbohydrate one to to protect your gut and to um, to to fuel, uh, however that's that's required, and that will vary from person to person uh, to, in terms of both the amount and the um, and you know how how important it is. I mean, I guess one of the things um, we we're sort of talking about off air beforehand is the importance of. Um, frequency or consistency of carbohydrate intake. Uh, We know that from some of the gut research that um, our colleagues have been involved with at Monash is that if you go for a prolonged period of time without carbohydrate coming in, that's when you increase the risk of um, gut issues occurring because um, you you fail to stimulate the gut for a period of time that the blood gets directed elsewhere and that's when it can have problems. Um, and, And that, also goes for you know not waiting till two or three hours into the race thinking oh i'm well fueled up at this stage i don't need to add carbohydrate until two or three hours into the race mm. um you, know, you should start that from right at the start even though it doesn't feel like you need it it doesn't feel like you should and you know having done events myself and, and you're probably the same steph like you're half an hour into the event and like i don't need to eat mm. or drink like i feel fine but you should do it anyway because it's it's just getting that little bit of carbohydrate in to keep the gut going because once you lose that blood flow um it's going to be hard to get it back once you go down that path
1: Exactly and also it takes time you know obviously when we take something on board as we know it takes time for that to be delivered um to the muscles yes we get that brain effect and benefit um but in terms of how long it will take for that you know carbohydrate to then get to your muscles and be able to use be able to be used as fuel um could be anywhere from like um again depends on the individual 60 to 90 minutes or so for for some um and then i was thinking about this um today as well my run is um you know then also the longer that we're out there and that we're going for when we are getting injury and the gut isn't um digesting and absorbing as well potentially that then can happen you take even longer so yeah, better to, to start early and just keep feeding the gut so we're helping prevent or reduce the the injury risk um, and promoting that blood flow. Um, and then just, um, yeah, absorbing it nice and early so it can be used for the muscles for, for fuel. Mm. Um, so little and often. Yeah, yeah. And then I think the other f- trap that, you know, that. Um, we can fall into is being aware that if we are going for a certain amount of um, carbohydrate, we just need to be aware that um, if we're not um, hydrating very well, then um, and we're just chucking in all this carbohydrate, um, then you know um, it's it's not going to empty as quickly um, from the gut. Um, so be mindful of what is your, your kind of your target and your goal and then perhaps what sort of fluid should we be looking at around about or as a range to just help make sure that it is actually then, you know, being delivered to your muscles and being emptied from the gut rather than just sitting there and then putting ourselves more at risk of, of gut upset as well.
0: Yeah. Okay, so people, so some people may not be used to eating or drinking very much um, during exercise because they've never had to in sort of shorter distance events, and now they're stepping up to this long stuff, and and there's you know clearly a need to do that. How, like, what advice would you have for them in terms of how they can get from sort of A to B in terms of going from you know not not eating and drinking very much to then you know being able to do that and tolerate it and feel comfortable?
1: Yeah. Yep um so um gut training definitely uh so in your training runs um set out sessions where you are specifically training the gut um and um and then in those long runs um have you know what you're planning for your race day then then implement that into your training um also like i get people to do um we all get people to do this uh where Um, usually what we do is we say okay we'll allow a bit of time before when you're eating to then when you're going out to run just to help reduce risk of gut upset however when we're trying to actually teach and train the gut sometimes I'll get people to purposely eat um, and then go out for a run straight after because we're wanting to kind of again just try and train the gut to um, adjust to feeling a bit uncomfortable, but and adjust to try and accommodate um, more volume and and solids in their gut, so that can be one way that they that they do that as well. Um, so yeah, yeah. just um, you need it. They need to start practicing in training and refining, you know, so that you know. Okay, well, hey, I didn't like that, or I don't produce much saliva. I need things that um, aren't too dry. Um, and, and what's practical for, for them.
0: Yep, yeah, no, that all makes good sense. Um, we've, again, we've talked a little bit about this already, but there are so many sports nutrition products out there that people could potentially choose from. So how do you figure out which one's right for you?
1: Mm. Yep, good question. Um, it's um, I do that based, again, on knowing what your actual goals are, so what is your target for Um, let's say carbs sodium water whatever your nutrients are that you're going for Um, and then then understanding what's in that particular product what are the ingredients in that product and what's the nutritional profile of that product um, and does that fit into what my goals are um, and how does that fit into it Um, so don't don't just um, see the product and believe the claim um um, have an understanding of of that particular product um and how it may work for you and if you don't um then that's where I would say then seek the advice from a um, qualified sports dietitian that can help direct you in that
0: yeah yeah and on the labels they'll often have directions of like how to make it up or how much to take per hour of exercise or something like that but bear in mind that um what they're suggesting on there is not necessarily what you should do. Mm. Um, they're usually putting directions on there because it's mandated by law that they have to in most countries. Um, but you know the, the recommendations are highly individual, as we've sort of talked about. So um, don't worry about what's on the label. Um, think a bit more about you know where I'm at at the moment and where I'm trying to get to, and and how I get that in terms of gut training. The other thing I think is interesting to talk about particularly on the topic of gels, Steph, is, you know, there's a, a big variety. We've talked about the packaging and how easy they are to open already, but even the consistency, you know, mm. some of them are really thick, almost like toothpaste, and then some of them are really watery. And so, you know, again, people are going to have personal preferences around that kind of stuff um, depending on what they find easier. Um, and even with flavour fatigue, as you said, it can be sort of texture fatigue as well. So, you know, your preferences might get more liquidy and less thick as the race goes on in a lot of cases as well. Mm. So again, having variety of stuff and having multiple options to choose from um, can be really valuable as well. So, you know, you might have everything planned out and you've got one of everything that you need. But if you get to, you know, 12 hours into an event and you, you know, on your planets to have product X and all of a sudden you're like, I can't even look at mm. product X right now. Um, then you need something else to be able to have, otherwise you're going to have nothing. Exactly. So your choice is have something that you really don't want or have nothing at all, um, but have that flexibility to, to move things around. And I think flexibility is a really important part in all of this discussion is that, you know, things will can and do go wrong in ultra-distance mm-hmm. events. Things are going to happen that you don't expect. Um, whether that's a physical thing, whether it turns out to be a lot hotter than you expected, a lot colder than you expected, a lot longer or shorter, the terrain's different. Um, there's all these curveballs that are going to be thrown at you that you have to deal with. Uh, and so from a nutrition point of view, it's, it's having that flexibility to say, you know what, this energy drink I've been drinking for the last six hours, now it's starting to taste horrible, what can I switch to and have a plan of what I'm going to be able to switch to? Exactly, yeah. Or You know, I planned to switch and just switch to water and and live off gels, but now the gels aren't going down very nicely at all. So now what am I going to do? Mm. What's my plan B? Mm. So having a plan B, a plan C, and and being able to be flexible with with what you're doing I think is really important. Yeah, yeah. spot why not. Cool. Uh, Any final sort of big do's and don'ts for race day nutrition that, that we haven't talked about? I think we've been... I think we've covered pretty much everything. I think
1: we've covered a lot of things. I think, yeah, just being aware of um, myths out there um, and, you know, I guess a common one that comes up is, you know, sodium needs. So we've covered that with you, Alan, um, in what episode number was that?
0: Uh, <laughs> ten, I think, off the ten? top of my head. Yep,
1: yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're wondering about sodium, go back and listen to um, to that particular podcast and that can help um direct you um uh anything else that i can particularly think of the
0: only other thing i was going to add is um like in terms of how much carbohydrate per hour there are a lot of guidelines out there that suggest if you you exercising for more than three hours you should have 90 grams an hour um and that does work for some people uh, probably more so if you're on a bike rather than running Mm -hmm. um but I'd say it's highly individualized. The longer you go, maybe that becomes excessive mm-hmm. for some people, mm-hmm. uh, particularly for, for smaller people. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of a theoretical ideal in a lot of cases, but, in a, but for a lot of people, they will never get to 90 grams an hour, no matter what they do. Yeah. Uh, either it's impractical to access uh, and consume that amount of carbohydrate along the course, just logistically, it's not possible, yeah. or they're going to get gut issues. Um, and no matter how much gut training, they can't get up to the 90 grams. Um, and, and as we said, in some cases, it's actually more than what you you actually need. So um, yeah, bear, bear in mind all those things. You know, we tend to, I think both you and I, Steph, would start with someone who's a complete beginner, like first time doing an ultra distance event, start at a much lower, probably even like 40 grams an hour, and then maybe slowly build it up as they become used to it uh, build up that tolerance and as you said if you've got access to a lab and you can measure uh, how much carbohydrate you're using per hour uh, at race pace uh, you, you know if it's 70 grams an hour there's no point consuming 90 mm. if you're only needing 70 but um yeah short of a lab you're never going to know that mm.
1: yeah yeah exactly and,
0: but i think at the end of the day you know often tolerance and the logistical aspects become the limiting factor anyway yeah they can, yep. All right. Any final things that we haven't touched on?
1: Not that I can think of. I guess the listeners will tell us in um, upcoming questions if um, if we haven't covered yeah. anything.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So obviously on on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter when we post about this episode, uh, feel free to you know pop in any comments or reply to the post. Uh, with any questions, comments, um, things like that, um, yeah, we're happy to to answer those via social media as well at The Long Munch for for all three of those platforms.
1: Yeah, I think then, yeah, just the other thing, and we'll do a section on this coming up, would be just the increased risk of um, gut upsets that can occur in the long-duration events and there's particular, you know, nutrition practices that we can do for that um, would be probably the other thing.
0: Yes, and that was episode 7, mm-hmm. so 7a and 7b around, you know, why do I get gut problems during exercise? Yeah. Um, so there's a whole episode dedicated to that uh, and, a, and a wonderful story from a, a, an Ironman triathlete, Eniko um, and how he sort of managed to resolve his issues in, in episode 7b. So, yeah, if that's a concern for people or they have experienced that, then, yeah, yeah. Uh, very much recommend you go back and have, have a listen to episode 7a and 7b. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. All right, so just to summarise all of that Steph, I guess from a, An ultra distance event there's a lot going on a lot to consider uh, for your first ultra but the first thing i guess is the training volume is probably going to be a lot higher so you need to adjust your day-to-day eating for that Um, the second thing is obviously it's a lot more eating and drinking during the event, and that presents both sort of practical slash logistical things in terms of what am I going to get in and how am I going to access it and consume it. Um, So that requires a a period of planning. And then the third part of that is how am I going to physically tolerate that from a a gut perspective? So again, practising that in training, uh, and the earlier you can start practising that, the better. You know, at least three months, preferably six, uh, if possible, um, is what we would generally recommend. Gives you a chance to practise this stuff, uh, almost like a rehearsal. If it works great, that's fine. You can go into a race day confident that what you what you're going to do is going to work. Uh, but if it doesn't go to plan, then you've still got time to you know make some adjustments and try it again and adjust and try again until until it's um, something that you're comfortable with and confident with. Uh, and never ever ever go into a race doing something that you've never done mm. before. Yep. because that's just a recipe for disaster. And you've spent months and months of training. You know all of those hours and hundreds if not thousands of dollars depending on the event probably um, to enter the event to get all the equipment and the, the supplies and, and all of those sort of things that you need um, you don't want to kind of throw that all away with a you know an early dnf because you didn't practice your nutrition you know it's, it's one thing that um in an ultra distance event it's probably not going to win you the race but it could very well lose you the race if you get it wrong
1: yep spot on
0: Okay, well, I think we don't need to do any more summary on this topic. Um, so we'll wrap it up there for this episode. Um, but we do have obviously our B episodes coming up um, for this for this podcast. So it's going to be episode 12B next week. And as we said, we're gonna to talk to some athletes uh, about their experiences with their first ultra distance event and some of the things that they've learned along the way. So who have we got for episode 12B, Steph?
1: Yeah, we have um, the lovely Kelly Emerson. Uh, so she's a ultra marathoner, and um, yeah, she's really covered a range of events from, uh, I guess you know, the the sort of the fifty k's, the hundred k's, the hundred milers, um, racing in a variety of um, conditions um, and um, uh, within Australia and overseas um and so and she's also a coach as well um and her background is she's an ot too um so we thought it would be fantastic to to hear from from kelly and um to get some tips from her and how she tackles her nutrition and and also some of the advice that she might give to to some of her athletes all the common questions that come up um with them as well
0: yeah, absolutely. And as we said, we're going to have more than one athlete perspective on this uh, topic, so we're going to have an Ironman athlete as well uh, and also a 24-hour mountain biker, so we're going to get that perspective across you know, different disciplines of sort of the ultra-endurance sports, which is great. Mm,
1: yeah. Yeah, looking forward to that.
0: Awesome. Yeah, um, so that's going to be our next few episodes. But yeah, as we always say, if you have any particular questions that you'd like answered on the podcast, you can hit us up at The Long Munch on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, or if you've got any you know, general feedback, things you'd like to see more of, less of, uh, and so forth, you can also um, leave some comments and suggestions there as well. So that pretty much wraps us up for today, Steph. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see everyone back here next week for episode 12B with Kelly Emerson.
1: Awesome, looking forward to it. See everyone.